If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Hey, it's Glennis here. Just to let you know that even though the quality in this audio isn't first rate, the information certainly is. Please excuse the audio quality and focus on the education and what you'll learn in this interview. Hi everyone, today I'm going to introduce Joe Winfield. Joe's a fellow of the British Horse Society, has competed in dressage, show jumping and eventing, and now finds that she's contributing a lot more back to the riders as a dressage, show jumping and eventing coach. She's been doing some research into risk management and coach education. And Joe, I'd like to introduce you and just ask you about your favourite quote. I think my favourite quote, which I heard via an Olympic rider when he was asked about his success, was, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Basically, you have to make your own, your own luck. Yeah, and I think that's been contributed to quite a few other people too. I had a quick look because I know I'd heard it before. Mm. Thomas Jefferson is cited as saying it. Samuel Goldwyn and also Gary Player. So there's quite a lot of people saying it, but you're absolutely right about the luck. You know, some people complain they don't have the luck, but if they're not putting the work in to be in the right place to have the opportunities, then they're not going to get the luck anyway. I would agree entirely. And, you know, people say the reverse, they have bad luck, but I just think they don't say yes to the opportunities that arrive. Yep, yep. What sort of opportunities have you had in the past that you can contribute then to that saying? I think I've always, I don't come from a horsey background. My parents weren't horsey, so I always had to find the rides and pester my friends and was that typical horsey girl that would be spending hours down at the stables just to ride the ponies back to the field. Occasionally, someone would come along and and support me, and I think that I had an opportunity to go into horses because I I didn't succeed very well in my academic A-levels. And by doing that, I then went to work in the industry and someone just saw me probably as a bit of a worker, but they must have seen something there mm-hmm. because they gave me the opportunity to ride a couple of horses. And yeah, I don't know what they saw in me at the time, but there, there was that definite help from the, from those third parties. Mm-hmm. Joe, I've got here that you started riding when you were nine. Tell me a bit about yeah. your first experience with horses, your first <laughs> horse you rode, your first ponies. Yeah, tell me about that. Oh dear. Well, my very first horse I rode, I had my 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 mum took me to a riding lesson and I fell off and I think she was really pleased thinking, Well that would be it. <laughs> and I can't remember much about it other than it wasn't it and I obviously loved every moment and came back. I owe a lot of my I think probably determination, as do a lot of people, to their first pony. So I had a little thirteen two called Crispin and I saved my pocket money for about six months to buy a saddle. So I have to ride bareback for the first six months. Mm-hmm. And consequently, as a little nine-year-old whose legs were halfway down its side, used to fall off a lot and have to walk a long way to find somewhere to get back on. But, you know, the first two years I fell off a lot and then I started to get better. And the last sort of year or so with him, I would come home with lots of rosettes because I I sort of learned how to ride because he taught me how to ride. And I, I went hunting, I would pony club. 
and he was probably just a regular pony mm-hmm. but you know it's the ponies and it's the horses that teach you and yes. without him I wouldn't have learned lots of those life skills mm, mm, mm. and then from riding Crispin and riding him you know as a nine-year-old 10-year-old 11-year-old what yeah. made you then change over to have a career with horses like you said because academically you weren't great but but even so yeah. you know there's a lot of other jobs that you can have without going into horses yeah I don't think I'd ever really thought about horses potentially as a career and I was set up at school to do my A-levels and to be an accountant mm-hmm. it's a really logical number process and I failed my A-levels quite miserably I had a very sort of teenage drop um, around about um, 17, 18, and I had to sell my horse at the time because he wasn't very safe because I didn't know any better. But we had a conversation with my parents, and it was along the lines of, you stay and study for another year. Horse is not a career. If you do horses, you can leave. And five days later, I had a job in an event yard. <laughs> so I fell into horses, and then I went to a college, which was Warwickshire College, which is a really a strong college in the UK. And you had to have your British Horse Society Stage 2 standard to get in. Mm-hmm. And my nature was I never really think I'm quite good enough. So I trained in the, the year beforehand. And I actually went to the college with my Stage 4. Yep. It was days when you did a year in industry beforehand mm-hmm. and then a year in college. And the same in this, my mother year, I did my a year out in a show jumping yard. And basically, by the time of leaving college, I had my... VHS instructor stable managers qualification mm-hmm. so I fell into horses but I was very lucky to come across the people such as Jane Goldsmith and John Dawn Rose who are renowned breeders and show producers and Sarah Hamlin has written lots of books so I, I was very fortunate to be surrounded with very strong people in that very formative years for me mm. And that's made the difference. I didn't intend a career and I found one because I think people saw something in me and I, I, I had to work in a pub three nights a week and a stud at weekends mocking out and mm-hmm. I had to sell my, my horse at the time to pay for my college fees, but it was all worth it. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is now, yeah, looking back at it. Yeah. Now, if you're going to talk to someone who's just in your position and thinking, you know, will I work with horses, won't I? You're talking to their parents. What are the core skills that you would say they need to commence in a career with horses? I think without doubt when you're in your youth, so as a teenager coming to the 20s, you've got Mm -hmm. to ride. Mm -hmm. And you need to ride with somebody who's established and has a strong philosophy of managing the horses, looking after the horses. So not just someone who gets on the horses because... You know, we can all have that affordable family where we've brought horses. But if you want to work in industry, you need to learn the trade with a good rider who's a good trainer, who gives you that communication of how to talk to the horse, how to work when things get tough, but that management of the horse. And, you know, the riding is one of the first things that goes as you get older Mm -hmm. because you can get into your teaching and your business later on. But ride, I mean, the the best teachers in the world have got the horses. Okay. And then from there, because there's lots of AIs around, there's lots of people who are working with horses at a lower level. What do you think the three keys are? Tell me about the keys to excelling 
you know how many go on to do their fellowship, to ride at a high yeah. level, to compete, to do things at a high level, to do PhD studies. What do you think are the three keys then to excelling in that career? Ah, it's interesting. I haven't really thought about it in that perspective. I suppose is if someone gives you an opportunity, say yes to it, I would have many strings to my bow. And I think that's probably one of my successes as being a generic fellow is that I can do lots of things very well. I'm not world-class in any one area. There are lots of people who train to a much higher level in a more specific environment. Mm -hmm. But I have such a broad spectrum that I can turn my hand to most things. So when we had foot and mouth in, in England, I was still able to work at the university and lecture. I can do some dressage judging. I have an understanding of the academia, so I could write a book. I am slightly dyslexic. So it's given, you know, from that point of view, I understand when people say it's difficult because I have to get things checked and mm -hmm. I have to edit and, you know, always re overread things. But I think as a good horseman, you should have a very, very broad breadth and depth of as much as you can. I mean, I, that has got to be one of the keys because certainly in your formative years, you may not know where you go. So say yes to everything and try everything. I mean, I spent a lot of time hunting and did a bit of point pointing. One of my first client's horses was a pacing horse that wanted to do dressage on. <laughs> I knew nothing about pacing, yep. but I logically worked out that poles might help this horse not pace and maybe go normally. Yes. Um, so it's about being inquisitive and saying yes. Okay, and taking advantage of, of all the opportunities that get offered to you. Yep. Yes, because people ask you something because at that time they probably believe you can do it and maybe you don't perceive you can or don't see how they how you are perceived. But if someone says, would you do something, they've probably seen the ability for you to be able to do it. Yes. So say yes. Yes. Now, talking about Jane Goldsmith, who was influential in your career, did she offer you opportunities or, or what did you see to make it that she was such a great influence? I met her when I was at Warwickshire College and she was a member of staff there and was the chief instructor. Mm. And I was on a non-riding course and probably rode three times a day because I was up in the morning to ride before on the stud mm -hmm. and uh, rode at lunchtime. So I was very, very keen uh, so on a course that only rode once a week. And she gave me a horse to ride to knock the corners off that she was producing to sell. And I had the opportunity to do that. And she, she was just always about and... That was in my first year. In my second year, I was based with an event rider called Sarah Cotton, who's now Sarah Verney, who had a horse that was at badminton that Jane trained. So I would see Jane training with Sarah, and I was just about, and I would, would see it all. And, and then later on, Jane took me down some qualification routes. More recently, I was at Hartbury College as a staff there, and she supported me through some power dressage training. And when I wanted my fellowship, she offered me some training opportunities with some of her clients. And she's just always been in the background and had always believed in me without really pushing me. Mm. I hadn't mm. realized it, but she, you know, she was pivotal from my 20s to my 30s to my early 40s. She had always just been around and I would aspire to be like her. Uh, sadly, she passed. Yes, yes, I heard that she passed, yeah. Going back to your days at Warwickshire with her, you were getting up early and making yourself available to ride the horses that she offered to you. Is that right? 
She had a horse that she wanted to produce, but yeah. I'd also ride stud horses and anything, basically. I would, anytime there was an opportunity to ride something, yeah. I would be there. So, so again, it goes back to the same philosophy that you're putting yourself in the position to have those opportunities created. You could have just laid in bed, had a sleep in, had a nice long <laughs> yes. breakfast. You know, you could have done a lot of other things as well. Yeah. I could have done, yes. Yep. yep. All right. Now, we talked about Crispin. Is yep. there any other horses or horse or horses that's influenced you in your career? There's one which was called Wooten Riley. So when I left Warwickshire College, and this this goes actually now you mentioned this goes back to saying yes to things. Just before I left college, the Christmas before graduation, which was in June, my work placement the previous year had been contacted about a friend, a client of his, whose groom had, had left. And I got asked, would I go and work over in this yard in Warwickshire over the two or three weeks of Christmas because their staff had left? Mm -hmm. So I did. I said yes. I needed the money. I was self-financing at college. And they liked me. They said, would I not go back to college? They'd buy me a lorry and a show jumper because that's what I'd previously done. Mm -hmm. I said, no, I will go back to college because I was online for distinction and I wanted to finish my course. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I did hunters for hire as a, a sort of business thesis a sort of timeshare for horses yep. at college and then when I went back they offered me a job so I went <laughs> okay. back there yep. and one of the first things I said will I break in this horse this young horse called Riley mm -hmm. and I broke him in he was a five-year-old and long story short he went to two-star eventing I used him and some of, of the other horses but now if I look back to see that type of horse now I probably wouldn't have ridden him but he was pushing 18 hands he was quite narrow he was far too big for me but he's a, he was what I had mm -hmm. I wanted to finish my BHS instructor's exam so he had to learn dressage along with his half-brother so the poor horses went to medium dressage <laughs> and they went show jumping to sort of 120 130 mm. and they went eventing and they were how I passed my exam mm -hmm. but it was that one horse that was no superstar but he probably went the highest he could have done because he was quite ordinary in the sense of he was a three-quarter bred, he wasn't he was bred to hunt, not to do anything. Because that's all I had, that's what we did. And he was pretty successful. And it it taught me to see the best in each horse and take it to the highest it can. And a lot of people have very good horses if they're well trained can go a long way. Mm. Mm. All right. Now what about your proudest moment? Has that been with with Riley or getting your fellowship or? I have a little bit of a problem with that. And my friends will tell me the same. I live very much in the moment. So when I've achieved something, I sort of just move on very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I'm very proud to be a fellow, uh, but it has taken a while for it to sink in. I've had my fellowship now just over 10 years. And I remember passing it on the Friday and phoning my mentor, Carol Board, and saying on Saturday, well, I've got it now. What do I do? And she went, for goodness sake, just enjoy it. <laughs> And I was like, oh, well, I've got it. I need to do something with it. Uh, and the same when I passed my master's. I did a master's in coaching science. I passed it in the sort of June. We had a graduation in the autumn. I didn't feel the need to go because by that point, I'd already had it. Mm. I'd moved mm. on. Mm. I think now I'm probably very proud when I see my riders go further than I have gone, have better horses than I ever did. And I feel very proud proud to be part of their journey even if it's just a small step you know it might have been the small step starting them or it might be where they finished but actually that's probably where I'm my proudest moments are is seeing people I've been involved with go a long way. I think um, 
Yep, I think that's very well put. Very, um, yeah, very good. All right. Now, just going on, you, you talked about having your master's and you're doing some PhD research now. Can you tell me about that? You're doing part, you've finished your inquiry? Yeah, um, I've sort of got a question about how we manage risk. And I'm just starting my second year of a professional doctorate in sports and exercise. That's with the University of Gloucester. Mm. So I've done a bit of a critical review on the background reading, but I haven't gone as far as defining and refining my proposal. So I can't discuss it too much because it's not actually defined yet. But my principle is how do we support coach education and managing risk? Because I see a culture which is nobody's fault, no one person's fault, but we see lots of riders now who live in indoor schools or live in very confined arenas and spaces. Our roads are very very restricted by the amount of vehicles and access on them. We see riders who don't ride outside in the countryside, who don't ride in fields, who don't ride when the weather's bad. And I think we've become a culture of being slightly risk adverse. Mm -hmm. So how do we support people to make good decisions? How do we manage those decisions and not become risk adverse? All right. Do you have a book that you could recommend for our listeners? Oh, gosh, yes. My Bible that I would use is Chris Bartle's book. Chris Bartle has been very influential in me um, as a trainer. I've been fortunate enough to attend some of his training days with horses and on my feet. And I love his philosophy and would aspire to to work along his philosophy as much as I can. So anything that Chris has written, articles and his book, I would encourage anyone to go to as a starter manual. Okay, good. Good. Now, what do you plan to do in the future? I mean, you know, you're, you're already doing quite a lot, but if you and you're doing your PhD, is that sort of your near future, what you plan to do? You haven't worked out what you're doing after that yet? Yeah, I don't really think I'll have a long-term plan. Um, I will finish my PhD, which will probably take me a few years. It's a sort of four-year potential. That's, that's, that's what we sign up for. Yep. Then I'd probably look to see whether we can take that coach education out into the industry, that the PhD shouldn't be a standalone exercise. Mm. It should have application to a wider audience. If it doesn't, then academia and research, you know, is, is just in its ivory tower. It should have an application. So my intention is whatever I learn from this research question, we actually do something with and apply it in, into coach education. Yes, yes. Joe, can you sum up your philosophy into a lesson today? Just something that people can take away with them. My philosophy probably is based on keep it simple. Yep. Find your strengths in your horse and your rider because they need to draw upon them when things are going tough. And get your riders to focus on what they do well in order that they know how they do things consecutively. Most riders for me can tell me what they can't do. They can't tell me what they can do. And unless they know why they're good and how they're good, they can't repeat it. Okay, that's good. All right, now people contacting you, how can they do that? I have uh, a good Facebook following. Yes. Uh, my, my name is my Facebook page, and I'm surprised how social media is so interactive nowadays. <laughs> but it does mean you can talk to people at, on a global level. And so I have a Facebook page, and I also have Joe Winfield FBHS on my Facebook page, which is very, very horsey. So I post exercises of grid works and pole works 
I keep it very horsey. <laughs> I have email, as most people do, and I endeavour to, to, to stay in touch with people that way. I do find that people choose how they want to contact you. There's so many different platforms nowadays, but suppose initial in contact is probably email because you can always answer that within a day or two. If you've been away, it's there forever. You don't you don't lose it. Yes, yes. Uh, email if someone's interested in Facebook if they want to follow what I'm doing. All right, we'll put those details on your show notes page at horsechats.com. So thanks very much today, Joe, and thanks for your certainly your knowledge that you've given us and your insights and your philosophy for people to go away and think about and uh, hopefully improve their day and improve their riding and something they can continue with. Thank you. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it. Good. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.